0: So, family, in our society, we spend a lot of time trying to emulate or trying to uh, imitate others. We have in our society a number of different realms that help people to kind of be like other people. One of those realms is uh, that of plastic surgery, and I know plastic surgery has, does a lot in a car accident. It helps restore the way you look. You have a a difficult time, uh, maybe a cleft palate or something. Surgery is a beautiful thing. But surgery can also be used like it is on a lot of our A&E TV shows. When you walk in the door and say, this is my favorite celebrity. Can you make me look like this? You see, there's a, 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 an aspect of who we are as people where folks desire to imitate others. It actually says that we've spent $16 billion, not even restorative surgery, but in cosmetic surgery. And maybe surgery isn't your area where you might be tempted to struggle a little bit with imitating others, but how about fashion? How about that, that, that nice shirt you got on, those cute boots? It says that in our society that 19% of advertisements are connected to a celebrity. It's one out of five. is connected to somebody that society deems as influential. It says that of people that, were, that have been surveyed, of people say that celebrity endorsements enhance their confidence or their preference in a product. So somehow, maybe your thing isn't surgery. Maybe it's the fashion industry. I don't know. But what I do know is that this society seeks to make us want to imitate it. That it seeks to, to make us want to imitate these certain stars. And, and I love Paul because Paul constantly says stuff that like, shocks your system a little bit. He says stuff that you're not really supposed to say. You're not supposed to be like, okay with. But then you understand the depth of it and you're like, dang, that was pretty deep. He says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, be imitators of me. Paul says something that's like heroic because like if you're the hero and you're doing good things, you do want people to be like you. But don't it sound a little bit of arrogant to come in a room and be like, hey, I know you want to be like somebody. You should be like me. Just dump, dump. But but catch the second part of what he says. Short verse. First, he says, be imitators of me. But then the second part says as I am an imitator of Christ, an imitator of Christ. So now it doesn't sound as arrogant because ultimately he's just the conduit. Ultimately, he just wants you to see the Christ that he serves in him. And if there's anything that you should want to be modeling after, it should be after character that looks like that of Christ. We've been uh, going through this book of Nehemiah working through this book of Nehemiah, and actually the, the, the phrase or the kind of subtitle under Nehemiah has been lessons in godly character. Family, I think Nehemiah would join with Paul and be like, hey, God's been doing a lot. He's working through me, but I want the godly lessons of character that you see that flow in me, I want you to see those come from Christ. And just as Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, we want you to gather that same posture from Nehemiah. So we're actually we have two stories or two series in one book because there's two main themes in the book of Nehemiah. The first one is godly character. And today is the last sermon in that series focusing on godly character. So we're going to kind of go back through Look at the different areas of godly character that Nehemiah has showed us. And my hope is that just like a buffet, you just add a little bit to your plate. Give me a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And before you know it, you're ready to throw down in the faith. The the illustration just stopped at throw the yeah. But you get the point. That we're going to see different angles of Nehemiah, different aspects of his godly character and the prayer of mine. And I pray the prayer that is yours would be that we would imitate Christ through seeing godly examples. So you got to remember with me, how do we get to this this chapter one of Nehemiah back? uh, the, The people of God have loved God, served God. Then they reject God. They choose their own ways. And that leads towards God's presence, leaving the temple. Uh, then comes this king. King Nebuchadnezzar walks in and says, I'm going to take over this place. He, he burns down the temple, destroys the, the walls that surround the city, and he displaces the people. So now the homeland, the promised land, the place set aside for God's people is, is, is feeling empty. It's void void of its strength and void of its people. But then we get a couple of God-centered leaders that start leading people back, leading people back. The first is Zerubbabel. He leads some people back. Then we have Ezra. He begins to lead people back. And when Ezra comes back, he builds up the temple. So now we got a place to worship. But then Nehemiah comes back and he begins to rebuild the walls. He begins to rebuild the surrounding city. So jump with me if you will. Actually, you can open up your Bible to, to chapter one and we are going to be going through chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Don't worry. I'm not going to do the whole chapter. Won't keep you till 930. I know, say I, that was the loudest. Amen. I think I've heard since we've been in Mac. Everybody like amen. Um, don't worry. I won't. But, but I do want to highlight these aspects of godly character shown so that you can see from this series, man. Let's imitate Christ. So in chapter one, looking at verse one, jump down with me to to verse three. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is where he gets the the prognosis. This is where he gets the update. This is where Nehemiah is brought into the pain of his people. They are burdened. They feel totally exposed as a city. The walls of the city have been torn down, and the people feel ashamed. Ashamed. I got a couple of pics you want to bring up there for me, Jake. And I showed this during the, during the first sermon of, of, could you imagine, like, like, trying to do anything private in that home? Okay, go... go like exposed you you got to get that visual image this is what the people feel like 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 anybody at any time could just come in my home and just have their way so it's a burden that these people are carrying then in verse four it says when i heard these things i sat down and wept for some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And down to verse seven, as he's talking to God in this prayer, he says, we have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant. I want you to see Nehemiah's godly character in the midst of being of, of hearing the pain of his people He first enters into that pain. He was a man that was with the king, could have left, could have said, up, y'all struggling. I'm chilling with the king. Hope y'all be all right. But no. He begins to weep. He begins to mourn. That's that's compassion, y'all. That's entering into the experience of people and having a heart that breaks. So so we see from Nehemiah, one of the first Galilee characters. Is that of compassion. Compassion. But then we also see him have spiritual disciplines. So, what does it look like when you get rocked with a situation? Do we go into work mode? Do we go into complain mode? Do we stay in a place of mourning? No. Nehemiah then goes forth and says, I'm gonna pray. I'm going to seek the God who can do something about this. I'm going to trust the one who has the power to do something about this. So not only do we see one of the godly characteristics of Nehemiah be that of compassion, we also see a godly characteristic, that of being spiritually disciplined. And raise your hand if it's tough to be spiritually disciplined. I ain't even say what it was yet. Corey was like... (laughs) It's, it, 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 it's, it's tough, but, but how beautiful would it be if, if we start taking aspects of our life and people would say, man, when I think of her, I think of a person that's a person of prayer. When I come to him with a situation, I know he's a person of prayer. I know he's going to seek God. I know he may even fast on this issue. Not right away I get the knee-jerk answer that he thinks it's going to be best. She thinks it's going to be best. But this person is a person that will go before the Lord on my behalf. We got, we got compassion, spiritually disciplined. But we, we see this modeled after Jesus. Look in John chapter 11. It's going to be up here. In John 11, we get the scenario where Jesus uh, is, is, is with his people, and he gets news that Mary and Martha's brother has died. This is one of Jesus's friends. And Jesus knows he's going to be able to raise his brother from the dead. It's not a surprise to Jesus, but but, but look at what happens in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You see that that that's compassion. That's a God who knows everything. But because I see what you're going through. I now hurt, too. What do they say? The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. We, We find that nestled in this. Why did he weep? He didn't weep because the brother died. He wept because he saw the pain of those that he loved. Compassion. Let that be a part of your godly character. So then continue on with me, because this brother received some favor, some favor that was only God, but also some of his character helped contribute. Look with me in chapter two, verse six It says, and the king said to me, how long will you go? Will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him time. So this is this is his work ethic already was a testament, a testimony to his character. Right. King already is like something wrong with you, Nehemiah. You usually are not like this. And because I trust you, even to the point of my life, I want to be in support of what you're doing. But look look at what it says in, in Colossians 3, 23, and that'll be up here, too. I know I'm flipping. But it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for who? Work heartily for the Lord and not for who? All right. So sometimes you can make God's miracle way more difficult than it needs to be. You can sometimes make that miracle more. So let's let's say you are asking God to bless you with a promotion. Lord, you see how much I make. I, I, I want to just allow my, my finances to meet up with my bills and like not be underwater all the time. Lord, I just want the basics. Can I be able to have that? I'm just praying that you would allow this promotion to happen. Praise the Lord. That's a good prayer to have. Now, if I go to your job and I start asking everybody at your job about your character and they start saying, "Well, she always late. Her work is we got to check over it seven times because you could tell she don't really put a lot of effort into her work. You you, you starting to see how you making the miracle a little bit more difficult for God. Can he do it? Yeah, he could do it. Would it be a lot lot easier if your character already spoke to you as a person that gives reference to a holy God? That you ain't working for nobody in the room, no woman, no man. You're working for God and God alone, so already you're knocking stuff out the box. So when God comes through with that blessing, everybody will be like, that makes sense. That makes sense. Family, let us have that character, that, that Nehemiah character, that Christ-centered character that already allows our work ethic to speak for us beforehand. That when, it's, when he does something, it's his favor and his favor alone don't make it more difficult. Amen. Amen. So then, in the end of chapter 2, or in, in verse 218, it says, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this work. This is a, 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 one of those kind of like lynch, like one of those main verses of this, of this series. Where Nehemiah receives a vision from God, and then he goes and empowers the people to be about that same vision. He, he empowers people. He, he wants to see people experience this vision of God. So that's another humbling, beautiful, godly characteristic. He empowers others. So we got compassion, spiritual disciplines, godly work ethic. Empowering others. Turn with me to to uh, to actually you probably don't have this in your Bible because it's a map. (laughs) But chapter three is this beautiful chapter where we get to see the details of what Jerusalem would look like fully rebuilt, and how Nehemiah says, I don't care who you are in this room. God has a plan for how he's going to use you to glorify him in his city. And so Nehemiah sees every single person as as adding to that plan and being a part of God's plan. And so so we get to see uh, that nobody is left out. It's a rebuilding that happens as a community. So the next aspect of godly character is one of community. It's a a communal aspect where he's bringing on the people of God and saying, not I am doing this as your leader, but we are doing this together. But as you know, when you start succeeding, get a little something. I remember the first time I had a uh, man, see... Most of y'all are too young, and some of y'all might be too old. So we'll see how this goes. So it was like my first time that I really got like the fresh outfit I wanted. This is back when jumpers was in style. And jumpers, like you know, like the farmer suit where you got the straps, hang one down, had the box to the side, uh, the fela red boots on, and the starter jacket. Ooh, come on, come on. I was ready. I was ready. And walking home, some homies jumped me. Jumped me. But they they could tell that on the days where I wore like the hand me down pants, I was kind of like this. The days where I wore the boots my cousin gave me, I was kind of like this. But the day where I wore that starter jacket and that jumper, I was kind of like this. You know, I felt a little bit better about myself. And they came hating. And the same thing happens as God's people listens to the vision that God has given them. They begin to to have a confidence in this beautiful God, this God that they love, that they know loves them. And as they begin to rebuild the city, come these haters, Sanballat and Tobiah. Look at verse chapter one, verse one, it says, and, and if you knew with us, you're like, what's going on? Do they preach a whole book every time? No, like, like uh, I'm recapping a series that we've been in for weeks. We are thankful you're here, uh, but, but want to make sure that you understand the beauty of this book. In chapter four, verse one, he says, now, when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angrily, angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews jump down to verse eight. It says, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion. But but my brother responds by refocusing the people of God. And in verse 14, he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters your wives and your homes he refocuses them. God is with us. God has empowered us. God has given us this vision, but also there's people you love that are going to be affected by the work you do this uh, in, in this in this actual sermon, we actually kind of referenced uh, ephesians six and we showed a few different types of warriors that that displayed the image of Ephesians 6, where it just talks about the full armor of God. Throw that up for me, uh, Brother Jake. take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So family, we we are we are called, challenged but given the blessed opportunity to put on the armor that allows us to fight against our haters, that allows us to withstand their challenges. We we spent some time defining haters but one of the things that I've, that I've been blessed by in this body is that uh, when, when, if I asked each of you to tell me a hater that you've had in your life, haters look very different, don't they? Like, like There's not just one protocol for what a hater looks like. And so it's cool to see our body kind of entering into life together to have to learn what it looks like to be compassionate because a hater to you might not be a hater to me, but it's still challenging the Christ in you. And so then we uh, continue to chapter five where my brother's uh, ethics and his morals had a chance to be challenged. You got uh, in chapter in chapter five, verse six. Actually, we're going to start at verse 7. He basically calls out the people and says, look, how are we going to be taking advantage of one another? It says in verse 8, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us? Crickets. They kept quiet because they could Find nothing to say. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Family, this is this is that kind of like, let me just make sure you don't become a hypocrite. Let me make sure that you're not trying to rebuild the city, see the city thrive, rebuild the walls. But then you're not taking care of home. You're not taking care of your heart. It's a, a, a clear example of, man, these people were listening to the vision of God, taking on the vision of God, working, doing the work of God, and then were taking advantage of each other. How, how does that happen? It happens when we put God's vision for other people. That's for y'all. But how I'm going to behave in my personal life is a little different. No. No, the same principles that guide us to be champions for justice in the streets need to be the principles that lead us to be champions for justice in our homes. If we're going to be compassionate to the hurting outside, how can I not be compassionate towards my brother, my literal brother, my literal sister, my literal, my, my spouse? It, it does break my heart. uh when I see us as believers, and this is a Mac thing, this is a Christian thing, universal though. When I see us, because we're a customer service you know, salesperson, be kinder to total strangers than we would be our spouse. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. I get it, because I'm, I'm, I'm sinful. I get it, because I do it, but it doesn't make sense, y'all. It doesn't, and what should happen, there should be some type of God-centered filter that's like, dang, I gave a total stranger because it was my work environment 10 times to cuss me out, and I didn't respond. And I walked in the door and gave my spouse one. I'm tripping. Now, they may have their issue. I ain't gonna let them off the hook. But we tripping, you get me? Like, we, family, let it be our posture That that the things that we see we need to be about as a people of God happen in our home. I got all off track where I'm going. Uh, So so what roots Nehemiah in this is not the desire to please the king. It's not the desire to please the people. It's his healthy fear of God. He's like, how are you going to take advantage of one another? Don't you know you got to answer to God? Don't, don't you know that there's a, a, a reverence, a fear of this holy God that, that should be affecting the way you make decisions in your personal life? Yeah. But, but, but that, 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 that fear, it can, it can cripple us. And I love that God gives us this armor to be able to fight against against that fear. And so in verse in in, in chapter six, we see Nehemiah not only challenge the people and be a man of, of, of integrity in chapter six. I mean, in chapter five but in chapter six, we get to see his his discernment. We get to see his discernment. And. We, we, we talked about for a bit like Satan's different attacks, how Satan can come at us with a variety of different schemes. He can be uh, try to befriend you, try to be repetitive and beat you down with a bunch of different opportunities to sin that he can just take your name and lie on you. Totally just take your name and run it through the mud. And that his ultimate desire is to instill fear. Look at what it says in in chapter six, verses thirteen and fourteen. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could, uh, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sembalah, Oh my God! According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted me to, who wanted to make me what? Afraid. Wanted to make me afraid, afraid. So, so, so we we brought up the, this acronym for fear. Can you bring that up for me, Jake? And it and it and it says like this: It says uh, false evidence appearing real. That that's that's the the way that we try to try to say, okay, fear, you're trying to to bring forth a reality that's just not true. Your lies are trying to cripple me in a way that would lead me to act in a way that God doesn't want. I love even here, it says, fear uh, is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. The belief, right? And so I, I, I love that we are, we are people who express this reality in a variety of ways. And I, and I get to be under a lot of thinkers and a lot of people who love Christ. And I love how this gets expressed because for my, for my analytical, intellectual people, uh, when a lie comes in like, like you will always be addicted or always act out on your addiction, my analytical people can say, okay, no, I believe that's a lie. I will, I will be able to choose Christ, and Christ will allow me to be victorious. My, my analytical people can can kind of see where the lie is and lock that thing down, compartmentalize it, and be able to move in victory as a result of it. My, my, my experiential people, my experiential people, folks that just like like the the breakdown of the analytical side isn't where they flourish. Where they flourish is just like knowing that that reality ain't, ain't, ain't right. The way they just say it is like Satan use a liar. i uh, Satan use a liar, and so you 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 choose what method begins to work with you, right? Drama happens in our community. Drama happens in our neighborhood. So now you should live in fear. No. I understand things happen in our community. But God, ultimately, you reign over my life. So living in fear would hinder me to be on mission for you and also hinder me to love my family well. So because of that, I'm going to choose to walk in your victory and ask for grace in that. Satan, you lying. I ain't walking scared. This is life. And you've given me life abundantly. Satan, you a liar. How how, how do you engage? And I realize now the depths and the beautiful depths of both worlds. I, I, I see now that sometimes Satan, you a liar, is so deeply rich theologically that it's exposing the beliefs, that it, that it makes fear have no power in our lives. <sighs> but sometimes I need the intellectual side to walk me through it, to, to, to help take me down a few notches because I'm, I'm too scared right now. And I need to like walk myself down the fear. And as I, as I dissect the way Satan is trying to break me down, it helps to calm me. I get it. I get it. Whichever way you use, I'm thankful for it, and I don't even care. Because both lead to the same end goal that we would not be believing the lies of Satan. Amen? Amen. Not believing the lies of Satan. My sister? Is there a good fear we should have? Yes. Is there a good fear we should have? Yes. And earlier, when is calling out the people for taking advantage of one another... He's saying you shouldn't take advantage of one another, not because I'm calling you out, not even because you got caught. You shouldn't do it because you fear God. Amen. Yeah. And he sees it, which speaks to what is our character like when nobody's around? What is our character like when nobody's around? Like, I, like, and, and I pray that this doesn't feel like a burden, but I, I so love all of y'all. And I so am like, like when I step into your home, like y'all are just, folks, it's cool. But because I'm a pastor in our neighborhood, I oftentimes will see people that have not done something, been with the church or connected to the church for a while. And so I might be driving down the street and I stop and pull up and I'm like, hey, what up? And they're like, what up? And they're, cussing and they're like, Oh, that's Pat. Hey, pastor, I'm sorry. How are you? how how's it going and and there's this there's this different life that they want me to see see i don't sorry i don't care about your language like i i care that you would glorify god with your tongue but like don't don't let your language be for me ultimately it ain't about me what type of character do you have when i'm not around what type of character do you have when we are not around what's it look like to say i fear the lord so I behave this certain way because I feel the Lord, not not because of Matt group. So. You know, y'all with me. Yeah. So great question, sister. Great question. Um, great question. So we so I know chapter seven is our last chapter. And it seems like we are about to go through the whole chapter. Trust me, I'm not going to take you through the whole thing. I'm going to give you the, the points that are most uh, important in this chapter. So join me uh, in verse one, because we do believe God's word is the thing that heals us and that grows us. And that's more important than, than, than what Pastor Leon says. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some of some at their guard post and some in front of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Verse five. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found in it written. Verse six. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles who Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. Family. I know a lot seems to be going on here, but basically camp out in verses five and six with me, where he says, God put in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials. We've been uh, we've been doing some work on the church. Uh, Jenny has been a blessing and Betty was a blessing. Um, we've had uh, uh, dream builders do some work in the building on top of the building for us. Um, We've, just been, we've been blessed, y'all, and you see some of the effects of that. Jay, could you pull up the, the first one? You see the, the beautiful wall behind me. It's all like blue, <laughs> looking all bluey and stuff. Uh, and then we got the tan walls that was painted on the side, you know, hooked us up, covered all y'all, half of y'all don't even remember what it looked like before that, Praise the Lord. All right. But then we have the church. And what good is a new beautiful blue wall, new beautiful tan walls, if the sanctuary is empty? It's empty. You See, that's what just happened with Nehemiah. He had a small group helping him rebuild the city. But now that the now that the 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 walls that were in ruins are now structured and strong, what good is all this if the people of God are not dwelling there? So now we're going to see this long list. I'm not going to go through that long list, but that long list details for you all of the different names that God has said, you are my people. I love you, though you've been displaced. I'm calling you back. I now want you to be able to experience what I've rebuilt through this leader who was my leader, through his character that was to be modeled after me, through a people that have set apart for my purposes. So now we get to see this list of people be those that return. But I need you to I need you to see. Verse six. And if you and if you if, if you read it too quick, you glance over it It says in verse six, these were the people of the province who came up out of the what? Captivity. 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 Yep. You could say it, Corey. Captivity. If if you were to guess who were going to be the people to inherit the Holy Land. Who would be the people that would be coming to fill this Jerusalem that has a new rebuilt temple and new walls built up? Who would you have picked? Because captivity means I was displaced. Captivity means I was kicked out of my home. Captivity means I was put into another person's social environment. And usually when migrants come, no matter where they come from, their first experience isn't that welcoming. Usually when when folks enter into somebody else's place, they have a negative experience. So now this 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 people that God sees with a vision, with a hope with a plan and a purpose, they don't look like that on the outside. They look like they've been displaced. They look like they've been uprooted out of their social fabric. And that, that little word, captivity, just, that was an encouragement to me. And Mac, we, we don't know how God will use people throughout our neighborhood. We don't know what state people are in, but yet God has said, that's my daughter. That's my son. We don't know if they lying on taxes. We don't know if they're just coming out of jail. We don't know if they are uh, uh, CEOs. We don't know. We don't know. All we know is that God is taking people from death to life and death never looks good. Death is, 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 is not a sexy thing. Death, you want to run from. And I was listening to a brother, uh, Dr. Dahadi Lewis, as he was talking about their church plan in Atlanta. And one of the things he said that his, a, a guy on his staff prayed is something that I'm like scared to pray and I know it's right. He said in the midst of their prayer meeting, the dude said, Lord, would you bring us Everybody that nobody wants. Everybody that nobody wants. And in my heart, I'm like, "But are we ready for that? How could we handle that? What What do we need to do to get? Re-? Pray, fast, have compassion on their experience." See them as being valuable in the kingdom and being a contributor. Be steadfast and do the work of the Lord, trusting in his vision. See even those that have been displaced as valuable members, as those that could be valuable members of the community. So chapter 7 is this this Nehemiah saying, man, God, I'm going to submit to you. But to do all this work and not have people experience it is foolish. You calling them back and I'm going to submit and call back your people. So God gives us this long list of genealogy. And whenever you see like those long lists, I know it's tempting to just breeze through it. But, but, but what, he, what he's trying to point us to is God knows you. Like, like there's a, 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 a image that people use all the time. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is, is, is that amazing, that he could know that? If he knows that, I think he knows his people. So family, I'm praying that one of these aspects of, of Nehemiah's character resonated with you. But in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we kind of land here. Because Nehemiah is imitating Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We, we are, when we look at Nehemiah and we see what God is doing for his people, God is doing that for us today. And I, I always want to make sure that our desire is to model ourselves after Christ. He gives us some great, beautiful biblical examples but all of them are pointing back to Christ. Christ, who's extended a richness of mercy unto us and has made us now his people. If you are a person that hears mercy, hears compassion, hears love, hears these terms that you're valued, but you know that from a standpoint of people, maybe your family, maybe your friends, maybe your co-workers, but you don't know that from the perspective of God's love for you, we invite you today to receive that love. We invite you today to experience Christ. We invite you today. After we take communion and after service, I will be present up front. Please come up front, talk to me. We would love for you to be able to experience this God that we desire to imitate as Christians. Let us pray. Lord, we are blown away by the godly character of Nehemiah. You've come to set the captives free. That was our, the case for all of us. But now, Father, would you let us live out this freedom that you so that you give? We pray that we will model our lives after you, Jesus. But thank you for brothers like Nehemiah that have led faithfully and lived faithfully. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.